After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to the Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, coming to you from uh, our new uh, podcast nook. I mean, we've been recording in here for a while, but it's really less of a nook and more of like somebody's old office. It's so, a room, yeah. yeah this is so like the nook. It's, it's, it, but I, I still love the phrase podcast nook. It's a great phrase. And the as old usual, one was a podcast nook. I mean, it, it was, was a cranny. It was a closet. It was <laughs> yes, a closet turned a, into a. It, it was cranny like. It was a. It was. It was small and cozy, and I kind of missed that a little bit. But uh, we do. Uh, we are moving onward and upward. We'll have a Facebook live for you Friday because we have wrapped up our Baseball America top ten prospects. They are all online. The lists are all free. Number one uh, is free. The insider post is free with the top uh, top best tools, future lineups. Uh, list the uh, of the last ten years top prospect and uh, number one uh, first draft pick for each team. So a lot of free content, but of course you get what you pay for at Baseball America. And for your premium subscribers, we do have uh, detailed scouting reports. Very confident of the best scouting reports you're going to find uh, online or in print. And of course, if you like all that, you get uh, thirty for thirty. You get thirty top thirty prospect rankings for all thirty major league organizations in the Baseball America Prospect Handbook which has gone to press, shipping at the end of this month, go to store.baseballamerica.com to order yours if you have not already done that. So we're wrapping up our American League Top 10 discussion today with this podcast, talking Houston Astros, and J.J. did the Astros Top 10, so we'll bear down on Houston and J.J., I think, as we wrap up the AL West. It's very obvious, kind of, this is a have-and-have-nots division in terms of farm systems, not just in terms of the big league teams, you have a, a Mariners organization that's going for it. You have the A's that are kind of in a they, – they have their perpetual rebuild that's, you know, uh, clustered around these periods of contention. But I almost feel um, like they're in a little bit of suspended animation, I hate to say it. But they're yeah, kind of I, like, don't, I don't know I, how I, they get to where they want to go right now. It's almost like they're still bottoming out. That's how I view it. I, from even uh, – they started the bottoming out process prematurely by trading Josh Donaldson. I don't know how, how often we could say that. But they're, they're still bottoming out. Uh, they're a contender in my mind – for number one pick in 2018, so um, they there aren't really, that many teams who are not going to yeah. be at least trying to be competitive. It's going to be the bottom is going to be a little thinner than it was, say, going into last year, where you look at the fewer the Braves teams. and the Phillies and the Twins, the Reds, and the Reds, and no, the, the Twins were trying. Yeah, the, oh yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the Twins were trying. That's what makes that's what made that so difficult. Um, All these teams were tanking, and the team that was trying ended up with the number one pick. That's uh, really hard to believe. Um, but the American, but you have you know the Astros and the Rangers who contended for the uh, division title for most of the year. Uh, Mariners actually wound up second. Uh, then you have the Angels who are all in now, kind of like the Mariners, but even more so. Tick 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 yes. tick tick tick. Thank you, Chris Bourbon. Um, but Houston, 
it feels like to me, JJ, Houston is the team that has done the best job of contending the last three years while simultaneously uh, building its farm system. That said, they didn't make the playoffs last year. They took a little bit of a step back at the major league level. I feel like that was really more just kind of what I predicted in the preseason. It wasn't so much that they got worse, just a little regression right. by a team they, that they, I thought arrived ahead of schedule in 2015 and just regressed a little bit in 2016. I felt they're, they're very well positioned for 2017 and beyond. Do you see the same way? I agree, and I've been kind of thinking about this a lot. We've seen this because we've had these teams. Right now we are in an age, the Giants were of a – the way the Giants did it was a little bit of a different age. And but, I said last three years. I should have said last two. But we look at how the Cubs did it, how the Royals did it. You have these teams who've won World Series the past two years that went with massive rebuilds. And then the question becomes almost, so how long, how long does that last? How long, when you get there, when you get to playoff contention, how long do you hold that together? And... With the Cubs, I mean, I'm going to fascinated to see with the Cubs because I felt like the Cubs really did last year arrive. Them and the Astros in 2015 both arrived quicker than I expected. I thought yes. the Cubs were going to be good, yes. but I didn't think they were going to be 97 wins good. Right. And by doing that, the 2016 season, they didn't regress at all. They got better, so, and I really felt like, okay, so they spent— Which was hard. Which was harder. The Astros— Won 86 games in 2015. The Cubs won 97 and, then got, and still got better. And the thing that's amazing about that is, though, is, is that they did that, and you still say, when you look at them, you look at that window and you say, the end is not near Correct. with that. The Royals, they got there in 2014. Right. I mean, and basically they went from, they were, they were before that really like what the Astros were last year, but take away the playoff appearance before that. They yeah, were one five hundred season basically, right? They were, yeah, they were close. Okay, the year before, the year in 2013, they had been in the playoff race until the final week of the season. But for the first time in so long, their fans were like, hey, this is great. Right. They were, they were thrilled by <laughs> yeah. it. Hey, we were in the playoff race until the final week of the season. This is, you know. So then you have them getting there. They're there. They win. You know, they go to the game seven and you know in fourteen they win it in fifteen, and then they fall off in sixteen. Was it injuries? Was it the losing of guys like Cueto, yeah. Zobrist, all that? But fourteen games worse. Thirteen and a half games right. worse. Somewhere. And now you look at it and say, okay, they hit the point. Now they're lower. They're a lower revenue team than the Astros, but they hit the point where it. They started to fall apart as much because of payroll as they did even before free agency hit. Yeah. Wade Davis is not there in part because it's not just hey we're trying to extend the the window. A lot of it is is we've got to we've got to save some money some places. Right. In part because they had some player development misses, right. scouting player development misses that they had to address via free agency. Right. The Cubs had some too, you would say especially their homegrown pitching and they are more able to fill those holes and still build a farm system. The Astros are able, J.J., they don't have the financial muscle the Cubs do, but they certainly have it. They just chose not to exercise it in 2016. And what's interesting is is I do think that hurt them in 2016. I don't think there's any question. When they caught the trade deadline, they did not make big moves. And they instead basically, I wouldn't say they completely stood pat, but they kind of counted on, they got some additions. Joe Musgrove came up, guys like that from the farm system. They signed Lusky Guriel. Here he is. You know, okay, we're going to get, uh, you know, the second half we got Bregman, which we didn't have at the start of the season. Right. There was all these things that they did that were internal. Those didn't really help that much for 2016, clearly. They didn't make the playoffs. 
it does mean that they are very well positioned in 2017 because they didn't make any moves where you say, well, that move helped them in 16 and hurts them in the long term. It means them, leaves them very well positioned. They have, to me, the best farm system in the AL West. Yeah. And it's not even... That, I don't think it's just... That's not a question. That's I don't even think it's that close. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is then they also were able, because their payroll had been so small, because they had so many of these younger players and all, they were able to go out and say, our outfield was a disaster last year, and it was. I mean, it was a disaster. And they were able to go out and say, we'll fix that. We'll fix that, basically, going out and signing the Josh Reddicks. Now, they didn't, you know, Josh Reddicks, they didn't go out and get guys who you're saying... Wow, they signed so and so to a five-year. You know, it's not quite analogous to say the Cubs going on getting John Lester. They no. didn't make a giant splash no. like the Cubs did two years but ago. What'll be interesting to see also is is that you know they've made a trade or two, but this is a team that still I kind of feel like that there may be another trade down the line here because you look at this farm system and there are a lot of pieces here. And credit to the scouting and player development of the Astros. Also, you know, Aza Campo and the, and the international side, too. This team has a whole lot of interesting arms still. Correct. And that's where, to me, I, I look at them and say, now they're gonna, they could use some of these guys to help because the reality of it is, is that the other thing, if you look at why the Astros failed in 2016, I do think that answer number one is, is that they had an outfield that had been pretty good in 2015 and fell apart in 2016. Yes. But the other part of it is is that they had a lot of regression on the pitching staff, starting pitching staff-wise especially. I mean, and, okay, what can you really – I mean, I'll ask you the question. What do you think you can count on from Dallas Keuchel, you know, as you say, okay, here we go, 2017 and beyond? Well, that's the amazing thing is I don't have any idea what you can count on from any of their starting pitchers. And Keuchel, McHugh, McCullers – Charlie Morton, Mike Fires, Joe Musgrove. Honestly, like from a confidence level, I would put Keiko one. I might put Musgrove two there in terms of the guys that I'm most confident. You know, I'm on. a Musgrove fan, so yes, I would. So, but, but, but I just I know that Joe, like to me, Joe Musgrove feels like this guy can be like a Mike Fires slash maybe high end Doug Fister kind of guy. He's not super overpowering. He throws harder than those guys, but he's big, angle, does and a lot of strikes. quality strikes. That just strikes. There's a lot of quality yeah. strikes. Keeps the ball in the ballpark. Yeah, I really like Joe Musgrove. So, um, but Colin McHugh throws a ton of breaking balls. Like to me, Colin McHugh's like a Josh Tomlin kind of guy. He, you think he throws a lot of off speed? Wait till you see Lance McCullers. So the, they are. Although his off speed is harder than yeah. Colin McHugh's fastball sometimes. But so they are. It's a very anomalous. This is nothing. Not nothing new or earth shattering with the Astros. But it's just. It's just they're an anomaly in the game, JJ. They have very little power pitching in their rotation. And that's where... And that's where they fall short, and that's the, where a trade really looms largest to me. Or the other thing is, is or is that where the, bull, the, the, the farm system now... Because if you said, what is the strength of this team at the upper levels? Okay, can a Francis Martez or a David Paulino, maybe not on opening day, but can one, of, one or both of those guys fit into that rotation by midseason... And both of those guys are power guys. They certainly are. And I feel like um, Francis Martez is one of the least talked about elite, prospect, elite prospects in baseball. And I don't quite understand why he's not talked about. <laughs> that's the part that I don't get. He's short, maybe? I mean, I, that's the only thing I can... Like, he's not 6'6 or anything like that, but... But he's really good. He's <laughs> you really know? good. And he's um, been really good for... 
two at a years. young age for a two you know two back to back years at a very young age. Two solid years. This is some uh, premium uh, pro scouting work by the Astros to have gotten him kind of as a throw in from the Marlins, which just has to you know make someone in the Marlins for an office commit seppuku every time they see him. By the way, or thing I like to remind. I'm not sure the Marlins do a lot of seppuku. Great work by the Astros, you know, scouting to to snag him. Also, if you look at our VSL, DSL top, t- That's right. you know, top 20, before Martez had ever crossed over to the, the States, there's Francis Martez on that list. This was a guy who was a dude. This is not ben something. Ben Jarvis, Ben Babbler was on him. This is not something where you can say, oh, you know. He snuck up on the Marlins. Right. No. This guy was a dude. Yeah, I didn't quite uh, understand that one. Um, so this does seem like a team that, um, where Martez is also that, Really nice uh, prospect who usually uh, it doesn't always fit like this. But not only is he their best prospect in terms of upside, which I think he is. He has some upper level experience. He spent the whole year double A this year. He's young. Oh, what was he twenty? I guess he'll be twenty one. He turned twenty one in November, so he's young for the he'll level. Twenty one year, twenty right? twenty one all year. He'll this be twenty one all next year, starting the year probably at triple A at the least. And he's a power arm, which is exactly what the franchise needs. So he checks so many boxes. Um, but I do think, I do wonder how that 2016 experience of kind of like counting on internal guys mm-hmm. didn't work out for the Astros. I can't see them counting on Martez, even in the second half for 2017, even if he might be ready. I don't, I don't know that they are counting on him. Whereas David Paulino has been in the big leagues um, he has some AAA time. It's really only you know 21 innings above AA. I don't know if you th- which one you think is more ready, Paulino or Martez. I mean, Paul, Paulino is uh, t- you know almost twice as big. He's a much larger, taller guy. I would say he's much taller. Twice as big, I was yeah. gonna say Martez is is a thicker he's guy. Thick. Paulino is a taller guy. I, I do think though. That, I mean, Martez has something that Paulino doesn't, which is, is that. How many innings can you like? If you if you said we think Paulino's ready to go, how many innings can you really comfortably pencil him in for? Right, because he's Paulino has had that's a high risk. We put him as a high risk in the book uh, for his BA grade, and I remember debating that with you and saying he's got to be a high because he doesn't he's never pitched over ninety innings in a year. Right, he's had injury problems. He's had trouble staying healthy for the full season. You have that, whereas Martez. A much younger pitcher, but Martez is pretty much give me the ball, I'll be there, you know, every fifth day or right. sixth in the case of you know early in his career, I believe. Right. You know, but um, actually, no, they were on the tandem starter, so it was every fourth day, but it was every you know. But for, for, we got it. Yes. Yes. He was reliable. But he's been reliable, and because of that, I, I do think that they're about at the same point as far as which one. Again, I don't think either of these guys you count on for the full season. You count more of like you're gonna have injuries. You go into spring training with neither of those guys, unless they have the outstanding, uh, you know, spring training all spring trainings, and then even then you probably still send them down. I, I kind of feel like Martez is in many ways positioned where Alex Reyes was hmm. at this time last year. We were talking about Alex Reyes at this time last year. Martez doesn't have a suspension hanging over his head. Right. But when you said Alex Reyes at this time last year, one of the best pitching prospects in the game, but you looked at it and said, he's not going to be there come, in his case, he couldn't be there come opening day yeah. because he was suspended. But you didn't expect him. He wasn't going to be there April, probably wasn't going to be there in May. But he said, okay, get to July or August and he's going to make, he could make an impact. 
Right. I really feel like that that's kind of where Martez is. He had a he's at a similar experience level, similar age level. He does have better control than Reyes did coming right. into the season, but there's a lot of those same building blocks. You say where and I think stuff and the Cardinals and Astros there's some, down there are me, some no there he is he yeah. is I mean Alex Reyes is the grade better I would say yeah but because he has the best stuff in in professional baseball for a starting pitcher not named Noah Syndergaard or Clayton Kershaw right for me just pure stuff right those, but, for, the, for those first two pitches Reyes is in a different discussion than everybody right. else. What I'm talking about, though, is as far as timetable, though, I do see him yeah. uh, potentially on a very similar yeah, timetable. I, I, think it's, I think it's an interesting, it's kind of, I think he has a but chance then, to be a poor man's. Yeah. The, then the flip of it is, is that, like you were just talking about, what's tough about this is, is where you look at where the Astros are right now. Are you better served with that? Or are you better served? Because, you know, there's been rumors of, okay, you know, obviously Jose Quintana is still hanging out there for the White right. Sox. And we have a question about that on, on the Twitter as well. You know, and you are you better off using Martez as part of a trade to get Quintana because you do count on Jose Quintana from day one. Jose Quintana, I, I would say that right now, if the if the Astros traded for Jose Quintana, he's their number one. Dallas Keuchel's their number two, and it goes from there. Oh yeah, I mean like I, you know, maybe I mean D- Dallas Keuchel was really pretty ordinary last year. The year before, Dallas Keuchel was better than anything that yeah. Quintana has done, as good as Quintana has been. So um, it, it would, I think it would be a nice thing for the Astros to have more than one option. And that, so I do feel like they are the team that should make a trade. You know, I, that, that, that's a team that if they're going to contend in 2017, their most likely path to doing that and to winning the American League West is by trading for one more starter and not relying right. on Martez or Paulino to be that difference maker. Now, whether... Quintana's the right guy. I don't know. I don't know if you need to have a power guy in today's game. It feels like you do, but it should just be good enough to be as good as Jose Quintana is and how consistent he's been. And you're talking about a guy who also has done it in a bandbox. So going to Houston and that kind of home run prone ballpark should not be an issue because he's had that success in Chicago, which can also be you well, know, a very home run, uh, unforgiving ballpark for, for a fly ball pitcher. And the other thing that does stand out with this is is that it really comes down to how much is it going to cost you? Because again, if you said Francis Martez for Jose Quintana, I would if I'm the Astros, I would obviously do that trade a thousand times because yeah. you're trading the unknown for the known, more known, I should say. Yeah, more which known. is how much are you actually going to give up? If it's something where you're saying Martez, Tucker, Paulino, Perez, then we're talking about a different story. And that's the thing though, is when it comes to power arms. The Astros have a number of these guys. They're not near, not they're not all as advanced as Martez is, but they have other guys in the system who could become the next Francis Martez. And really, Francis Martez is the next Lance McCullers. I mean, they're, right. very, they're very similar. Well, hopefully, as far he's as better. Approaches. I mean, I, I like Lance McCullers a lot, but hopefully, Martez is better, more of a starter, and pitches off his fastball more. Gotcha. I know that the repertoire is similar. But, but the thing about Martez is he does pitch off his... Right. McCullers is always using his fastball to get to the power-breaking ball. Right. Whereas Martez pitches with his fastball, and he has the power-breaking ball. Right. So it's that, a different approach. I do think it's an important distinction. I, I, I know you've uh, you, that, that was a comp you got a year or a half ago, and it really does kind of help crystallize how good they did for me. Wow, okay, well, then this guy's really good. He's potentially a lead arm. The, so. the other thing that's fascinating to me about this is number eight on this list, Yuleski Gurriel. Who? I want to wrap up on the okay. pitchers real yeah. quick because Franklin Perez is the other guy who 
you know, we jacked up A.J. Reed up our list last year for good reason. He had an unbelievable 2015, and I, I do. I mean, I think he and Guriel are of a piece, uh, the same discussion mm-hmm. point. But Franklin Perez up there at number four, that's the other kind of elite pitcher in this list, J.J. And as a matter of fact, uh, he's the only other full-season pitcher who's on this list until you get down to, like, 18. Everybody else is, like, reliever or back-of-the-rotation mm-hmm. guy. So if you're looking for potential starting pitchers, you go Marte's Paulino or your two upper-level guys, and that's a strength of the organization. But the only other guy who's got full-season experience is Franklin Perez. So I think he's a pretty important prospect. But he also is, if you were looking back at the 2016 year and trying to say who are, like, the top 10 breakout pitchers of 2016 – or 20 top breakout minor leaguers, period. I think Franklin Perez has to be in that top 10. It's a guy I did not know in last year's handbook, and maybe I should have, but his name certainly didn't ring a bell. And this year, the more I read him, the more I went through our notes, it was like, wow, Franklin Perez. This he's, guy sounds like, le- where's the flaw? He's he legit. sounds extremely legit. He is very legit. And uh, again, one of the things that the Astros do is, is with these guys is, is that they challenge them. When mm-hmm. they've got guys with this kind of stuff, and especially if they can, if they have some feel for the strikes, them, they challenge them. And Franklin Perez, you know, again, you, you talk about a guy who, in his case, he just turned 19. He pitched right. last year as an 18-year-old. And the Midwest League should be a challenge for an 18-year-old. It right. really should. And there were times where it just looked a little too easy for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's something where... His like, curveball was too good for that league, and he could throw a lot of fastball strikes to get to his curveball. And he, and he has a changeup at times, yeah. too, and he threw strikes. You put all that together, and low-A hitters don't, I mean, on the days that it was working, they just didn't have much of a chance. Yeah, again, you're talking about a guy who's going to spend the year as a 19-year-old and high-A down the street from us in Bowie's Creek. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of Franklin Perez in Bowie's Creek. And I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you know Franklin Perez. But that is... Yes, if you said again when we say who's the next, who's got a, who's got a chance to be the next Martez, He's a little, he's a little taller, but that next guy who could be the, the front line guy, front line guy with upper level experience, he's he could be that as a twenty year old. He could be sitting here having pitched in Double A and having had success. We're going to be talking about Franklin Perez yeah. at even another level. The impressive part to me reading his report is that it's not just the one pitch; it's that it's four pitches. And another thing I like about it, and and. You know, this is hard for young pitchers to do. We'll see if he can keep doing it. But he has two separate breaking balls. The curve and the slider are distinct. To me, that reads feel for pitching, Mm -hmm. that he's got got that feel for spin, so he's always going to spin a breaking ball, which, again, right-handed pitcher with breaking ball, check. (laughs) want to see that. Good body, but it'll be a challenge, I think, for him to keep those two distinct. I know it's not a lot of pitching coaches who would like to see a guy really master one before he picks up the other breaking ball. But it looks like both of them are flashing plus, if not consistently, above average. So uh, that, that, that's, a, that's another sign of his precocity. I think he's really a, a very precocious, underrated, uh, really exciting young pitcher with a pretty a high grade in the handbook. The, the interesting thing about this to me is, is that he was part of the same pitching class, international class, as Anderson Espinosa. Yeah. So just to kind of, you know, same, basically same age, same progression. I mean, these are both... You know, both right-handed, very talented right-handed pitchers who uh, made it to low A basically this past right. year. And both precocious. Both precocious. <laughs> yeah. Espinoza obviously came into 2016 with a lot more uh, clippings. You know, like yep. a lot more, more hype. hype. And understandably, I mean, he he had a better 2015 
and you know he he was he looked to be a little bit more advanced. I'm stop right now. I still have Anderson Espinosa as a better prospect than Franklin Perez. But it's a discussion. But it's a discussion. Perez is a little bit more conventional as far as you know your prototypical uh, height, weight, you know, and all that you look for in a young pitcher. Right. And I, I don't think there's a question when you say who had a better no low question. A season. They were both in the same league, both in the Midwest League. So Franklin Perez had a better season. I'm not saying again. I would put Anderson Espinosa above him, but. That's a discussion. It's a discussion. That's what, and I don't think a lot of people out there realize that. No, no, no. Totally There's agree. no reason to say that this isn't a discussion because these are two guys with at least similar quality of stuff. And I think Espinosa's is the reason I would put Espinosa at him. I think it is a little bit better. Right. But Perez has some pluses that are, you know. There are no sevens on the card for Perez. There are potentially at the peak for mm-hmm. Espinosa. That's why I would also choose him. But it's a 65 versus 60. It's not some yawning gap. No. And, and at, at the full end of, season ball, Perez has outperformed Espinosa. It's just and he has a bigger body, more I, typical body. What I'm what I'm saying is is that by the end of 2017, yeah. it very me very possibly we may say, you know what, Franklin Perez is a better prospect. This was the other discussion that made me think, okay, I gotta study up a little bit more on Franklin Perez. Because he really like you're trying to find a discussion point besides hype that favors Espinoza, and you have to dig a little bit. When you do dig a little bit, you do. Right. Oh, the fastball, like I said, the fastball's best yes. has been better. The cha- the thing we got to see with Espinoza is, is that the, the secondary stuff took a step back. Right, exactly. And so we got to say, okay, was that just a hiccup, or is right. that no? How much still- of that was he got traded? Did want to get traded? This kind of stuff. So, um, so the pitching at the top of the, your list, I think, is quite robust. And then yeah, the pitching depth is a little well, iffier than I anticipated for the Astros, but I'd rather have stars than depth. Yeah, you'd like to have depth for pitching. When you say that, though, we are talking about that four of the top six prospects are pitchers. It drops off after that. Yeah, that's what I mean. And Forrest Whitley, you know, who... Yeah, I like Forrest Whitley. Forrest Whitley, who was a first-rounder last year, is the fourth of that group. That's that's pretty good. It is. They've traded some pitchers over the last couple of years, and they've graduated some guys, some arms like a Musgrove, graduated probably a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, It is a deep system in terms of position players, but they probably wish that both Uleski Gurriel and AJ Reed are not were not eligible for this list. I think the Astros are fine with Alex Bregman not being eligible there because Alex Bregman was so good in the big leagues after that miserable yes. start. Uh, really impressive how he adjusted, and uh, I'm impressed that USA Baseball is taking Alex Bregman on the World Baseball Classic team because he should be on there and he might wind up being the best player. But, um, that, not because he's the best player in the major leagues, because it will matter to him, and that guy's gonna. Hit. But the other thing about that is is that I kind of. I like to see that continuity with yes. USA Baseball, where the guys who are like, Alex Bregman's been a USA Baseball guy. The guy from the 16U team and the 18U team and two college national teams will now play for the right. World Baseball Classic team. This is I'm, not I'm new for him. This is the Correct. same. Um, but first base for the Astros was a uh, just a, a wasteland last right. year. And, that, they, and it wasn't like a teenage. And they wished it had been a teenage wasteland. But it wasn't. It was a young 20. It was big guy wasteland and wasteband with Tyler White and A.J. Reed. And it was guys who shouldn't be playing first base, Wasteland and Marvin Gonzalez and Uleski Gurriel. Right now, J.J., I think Gurriel and Reed were the two hardest guys, among the two hardest guys to rank in the entire book. And if Joey Gallo had four fewer at-bats, he would have joined the list. So we're glad the Rangers got him enough at-bats where he he wasn't eligible for the book. Because I don't know what to do with that guy. And I don't know what to do with A.J. Reed. Because J.J., the year before... I think we didn't know what to do with A.J. Reed either. Like, it was like, is this guy really this good? And the analytics said, yes, he's extremely good. 
we still, even though there were scouts who were really all in on him, we still found scouts who weren't. Right. You you found um, you found a a yawning chasm. Yeah. Between the highest guys on AJ Reed who are like this guy is. This guy's there were guys who had sevens on him, like, like you know, first division all-star first baseman. Right, he's going to hit for power and get on base, you know, like, and hit for enough average where it's like check, check, check. Right. And you had other guys who were like, you know, I don't, I, he's a second division regular to me at best. I mean, you had that big of a gap. And I, I think I thought that he would be Matt Adams that walked. I think that was going a little too much on the body comp, but now I almost feel like. That would work, <laughs> you know. I feel like that. You if know, he does that, I thought, I thought he would be better than that. Now I feel like that's a best case scenario almost for well, him to be Matt Adams that walk because Matt Adams is two seventy three fourteen four fifty five career. AJ Reed, I think, will walk more than that. But but then how, how good could he be? Could he be a first division first baseman? Where, where, where do you stand on AJ Reed now? And uh, and then we'll get to Guriel. The, the tough thing for me is is I look at the Astros right now, and. I don't see how A.J. Reed really fits into their 2017 significant. I'm not saying it's not possible, but... Their acquisition of Brian McCann and Reddick, giving them two everyday players who bat left-handed, and then Nori Aoki as well, all those things, I think, hurt Reed's chances because his best hope before was lefty power bat they needed, and now they've kind of gone out and gotten two of those guys. They've gotten two of those guys, and you go beyond that and you say, okay... The thing that the Astros, I think, positions them very well for 2017 overall is is that this is a team that has a very interesting to me depth. And I say that because it's not because they have they're gonna have seven guys in triple A, although they may. Right. But it's not that as much as it is every position around the diamond, if there's an injury, yes. you have a plan B. Alex Bregman being able to play, realistically, you could play him at second, short, or third. Correct. Gives you Plan B's all around the, you know, all around as that's far a, as that. That's a very Ulesky good start. Guriel being able to play, legitimately being able to play third, first, left field, and second base is his more natural position. Yeah. Okay, so you're covered. He covers you in a lot of ways. Guys like Josh Reddick. Guys Marlon, like Marlon Gonzalez is a, can go back to being a utility guy as long as you find someone else to play first base. He's a good utility right. guy. He's not a good everyday but player for me. Acquiring Brian McCann to go with Evan Gaddis. Which yes. means that you have these kind of DH slash catchers. Yes. Which means you can keep two guys, you know, in the lineup pretty regularly, but at the same time, neither of them is going to have to catch 120 yeah. games or anything like that. Max Stassi knows he's not going to have to DH very much. I, was gonna say, I don't think Max is going to make that. I don't. I think he may. They need a catcher to be a third. They need someone who could be a catcher catcher, not a catcher DH. Right. And those, you know. Evan Gaddis, you don't want to catch Evan Gaddis because you have to because Brian McCann is gassed. You would like to have they, – they may be a team that, ca- that carries three catchers, J.J. No, I'm not we'll saying see. they may not. I, and you know who I think there should be that before too He's long. not on the 40-man roster. Garrett Stubbs, we can get to Garrett Stubbs. He's not on the 40-man. Right now, Max Dassey on the 40-man. But so what I'm saying is, is that I do think if A.J. Reed was joining the 2011 Astros, it would be, here are 600 at Correct. We will know at the end of the year. Really, when Chris Carter arrived in Houston, right, and it was like – We'll have a full season. And the sad thing about that was is the season ended. It's like, we don't know what we have That's with right. Chris have Carter. Have more. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he still hadn't, you know. But you would give an opportunity. You would, he would get an opportunity to say, here it is. Show me what you can do. You cannot do that if you're Houston right now. You, he, he has 100 at-bats. If there's a situation where they need him, 
He has 100 at-bats to show something. If not, they're moving on because you can't say, here's another 200 to figure it out. Who do you expect to be their main first baseman? Who's going to be listed on BaseballReference.com as the regular first baseman on the 2017 Astros? It'll be Uleski Gurriel. It'll be Marwin Gonzalez, A.J. Reed, Tyler White, uh, Colin Moran. <laughs> you could vote other. Who else? Uh, Assuming. Again, Carlos I'm, Beltran going to learn first base? I'm kidding. Preston Tucker going to go back to his old college position? I, I think right now it's Gurriel because... I think he's the most likely guy as well. I, he ha- if he doesn't, like, that would be... They spent a lot of money in Uleski Gurriel. Yeah, $47 million. And this is as good... You're not counting on... There is no part of, hey, Uleski Gurriel, besides him getting acclimated to the U.S., you are hoping to hold on that Uleski Gurriel holds on to what has made him Uleski Gurriel right. for these for literally more more 15 day. years <laughs> that we've been writing about him. Yeah. The, the longer he can hold on to that, that's your hope. He's, this guy's, there is no upside to a guy who will turn 33 during the season. Very tricky to rank as a prospect because he's not really a prospect. But he's rookie eligible. It's 130 at-bats or less. He has 130 at-bats um, in the big leagues. Um, so he and A.J. Reed, I think, were two of the harder guys. Clearly, if you believe in A.J. Reed at all, I think he has to rank ahead of... Of Guriel because he's because, ten years younger. Right. I mean, really, again, Guriel is Guriel. Whatever you get out of Guriel in 2017 is then okay. That's we gonna hope be the that peak, we get. We, we hope that we get. If you're the Astros, you're saying we hope we get close to that in 2018. Right. You hope you get 95 by, or 90 percent of that. Right. Because he's gonna be. I mean, in in modern day baseball, the reality of it is is that 35 year olds. Yeah. It's not something where there are very many of them who are productive baseball, you know, big leaguers. And I'm not saying Uleski Guriel at his best had a chance to be one of the better players in the majors. He just happened to be in Cuba at the time. He was basically like a to me because of the sta- I, I thought of this because of the stance. Also, just he was a better version of Evan Longoria. He was like peak Longoria for a longer time. You know, he was. Just, but, I mean, like if, he was. But the, if, if Evan Longoria was really bored by the level of competition, yes, that as well. Against, that as which well. Which I don't. I, I hate to say, I don't blame him. Yeah, he was seriously. so much better. Yeah. Than the level of competition that he was facing, that you know it. So it, ultimately, it's hard to believe. I think in AJ Reed, um, because he might his opportunity might need to come with another team. Yes. Like as an extra player in one of these trades um, that the Astros could make to for uh, you know. For example, if they made a trade with the White Sox, you know, though I know the White Sox have uh, Jose Abreu, but if they wanted a DH, hey, AJ Reed, he could do that. Uh, you know that. Mm-hmm. So a team that you, you would want—that's where I think AJ Reed's best days. I do think he has better days ahead of him. I think they will wind up coming uh, with a team other uh, than the Houston Astros. By the way, uh, when we talk about when we say that Uleski Gurriel was bored by the level he was facing. I, I feel like I have to mention what to me is if if you haven't if you're listening to this and you have never heard this, his final year in Serie Nationale in Cuba, which the talent level in Cuba, especially on the pitching side, it's taken a hit, has on been on a very steady decline. That being said, 224 plate appearances, 15 homers, 20 doubles, 38 walks, three strikeouts. 
<laughs> the three strikeouts part's always the one that gets me. That's why I was, I was know, leading I, up to that. I don't three usually remember that one. I don't usually remember that one. The other guy... He hit 500 that way, by the way. He hit 500. I mean, you want to talk I like about... I that's like, incidental that you just mentioned that at the end. Oh, by the way, by he, the hit way he hit 500. This, I, again, I, the, the only thing I can describe it as is, is imagine if you took... Imagine you took one of the top high school prospects in this year's class. Let's say, like, Hunter Green or let's say Royce Lewis because he's pure hitter. Sure. Take Royce Lewis and you said, you know... We're going to put you down in like a low-level middle school league, and let's just see what you... I mean, again, it is like... He was, I was going to say, well, it, it would be like take um, Alex Bregman and let's put him back in his old high school league. Yeah. Let's put him back in Albuquerque and have him play or, high school baseball in Albuquerque. Even though he's, you know, yeah, I know you have all this experience and you're six years older than everybody else, but let's have you go play there and see if anybody gets you out. That's like At some point... You probably would get out because it would be like Manny Ramirez. When you read these stories about Manny Ramirez, it's like he would just send the pitcher up for next time or that kind of you know, It would really be like that. Like I just wanted him to think he could get me out with that pitch. So he throws it to me again so I hit a home run later in the game when we need it. It's really kind of like that. So um, those are two guys who we thought would be the Astros' top 2016 rookies. They could still be their top 2017 rookies. I guess the other kind of dark horse, I don't know if he's a dark horse for that, J.J., but... Teoscar Hernandez fascinates me as well as a guy who he's always been described as very toolsy and somewhat raw, but all the indications from his performance, he added a lot of polish last year. It's a, I, I don't know. I, I almost feel like in some ways I feel like we have Teoscar overrated, and that last year is a is a, a, a mirage almost. In other ways, I feel like he's underrated. Like he's toolsy and he's added a lot of polish to his game. I, I think you fall on the latter camp. I, I, I do, and the thing about it is, is that. Again, when we talk about this depth that the Astros have, the Astros are not counting on him. There's right. right if you if you start out right now and he's say, an easy top hundred guy for me. Not no, easy, but he's a top hundred guy. Yeah, I, I agree. Now again, he's fascinating because there is risk here, partly because you want to talk about a guy who's had ups and downs. <laughs> the downs for him, yes. he was rule he was five eligible two years ago. You know, he was rule five eligible a year, basically a little over a year ago, and everyone was like, pass. Hard yeah. pass. Yeah. Now we said, yeah, you know, there's something there, but uh, <laughs> but but no, you look at it right now, and I think when the season begins, he's probably not on the roster because, again, you just talked about it. You've got Springer, you've got Reddick, you've got Aoki, you know, you you Beltran, you've got enough guys that you don't really need to Marisnik, you know, right? You've got right. enough guys that you don't need to count on him. That being said, this is a guy who can legitimately play all three, like. And that to me means, I, I kind of see his him starting out as I, I don't think it's bad for him to necessarily that his foot in the door at some point is going to be as the backup outfielder. Right. Who okay, I can play him in center, I can play him in right, I can play him in the left, and by doing that, he gets kind of acclimated to the big leagues. But no, I think this is a guy who does have starting potential. He has absolutely, he's always had absolutely legit tools. It feels like this is a guy who like. Uh... You don't necessarily want a rookie to be your fourth outfielder. You'd like him to get more steady playing time. But he seems like he's a better fourth outfielder candidate than Jake Marisnik. We know that Jake Marisnik is not going to hit enough to be a big league regular. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel there's quite enough playing time for Teoscar Hernandez, especially with Beltran going to play some outfield and, and having gone and signed uh, Aoki. 
I mean, again, the funny thing about this, and that's not even talking about Preston Tucker, who right. was terrible last year, but was a big, you know, was a had a very strong season, rookie season. He's been a guy be- the year before. Yeah, he's been a he's been a solid big leaguer. Is what he's been. Right. I, again, and this is the thing that does stand out about to me about this Astros team is is that, and some of these guys are going to end up being nothing, and partly some of these guys are going to grow stale. I mean, one right. of the things that happens, Colin Moran is a worse prospect now than he was a year ago. And <laughs> yes. that's just because Colin Moran had made it to AAA the year before, didn't have a good year last year. That being said, Colin Moran has been a, you know, has been a productive minor leaguer at times. He is a depth option at first base, third base, who's right now penciled, you're going back to AAA, yeah. and there's no real <laughs> clear path out of here for you. But that AAA team could start the year with, very conceivably, with A.J. Reed back again. Tony Kemp back Tony again. Tony Kemp back again. Colin Moran back again. Tiasco. Hernandez back again. Derek Fisher there. I mean, you could be talking J. about... J.D. Davis, probably. J.D. Davis, again, another... You could be talking about a... That's a triple-A team Derek, for the ages. Derek Stubbs. That's right. That's right. You could be talking about a really loaded triple-A team. And a lot of these guys, the only path... Tyler White's probably there, too. Tyler White. <laughs> you, you really could be talking about where... All these guys, Preston Tucker again, yeah. he could be there. Yeah. You could be talking about like prospect, prospect. Okay, he's not Tony, a prospect. Tony DeFrancisco, our last year's minor league manager of the year, 2015. That's a, that's a he would have a, a challenging time finding playing time for all those guys. And again, it's also challenging from a motivational standpoint. It's, yeah. it's rough to go back and say, like, okay, I'm not just here, but how do I get out of here? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, again, you're going to be talking about a situation where, because this is a team at the big league level, as we just talked about. It's not like if they have an injury for, you know, I, and this is the nightmare scenarios, but Carlos Correa is out for 16. You, you, know, know. you know who else has to get playing time there, even though he's not on the 40-man roster anymore? Jonathan Singleton. It might just, I mean, he's under contract. They're paying him. By the way, so kudos to Jonathan Singleton for, yeah, I'll take that deal. Yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. Sorry for, you know, the, the, the career has not turned out as one had hoped, but the reality of it is, is that he's making... By any normal, rational standards, very good money to be yes. a AAA guy. Yes, he is. Uh, we're talking uh, Astros. Let's, let's take some questions because we had a lot of questions. Um, let's take a couple of our about specific players first. Uh, Redshirt uh, at who PhD asks Ramon Laureano top minor league baseball in OBP and Miles Straw in batting. Yet neither is ranked as a top prospect. Redshirt, I just. Uh, Corrected your grammar there, by the way. Neither is always singular. So not neither are, neither is ranked as a top prospect. What gives? It's also nor so-and-so. Correct. It's it's always singular. Um, Ramon Laureano, JJ, ranks ahead of Miles Straw. By a significant significant way. Let me just say, Ramon Laureano, again, this is the system. Garrett Stubbs is number 10 on this list, and... He, there's fascinating things, good or bad, about Garrett Stubbs, but I think he's a very interesting catching prospect. Mm-hmm. Roman Laureano in a different system, to me, very easily could. Roman Laureano in the Marlins or Angels system is an is not just an easy top ten guy. He's in their top five ish. You know, he's probably challenging right there with Brian Anderson. By the way, another guy who he'll have some time in Double A next year, but he could be a Triple A by the yeah. year. Yeah, not that they need more guys in Triple A, but. But no, this is a guy who did have a legit breakout season. Is to me, again, like if you look at, I don't say that his floor is fourth outfielder because again, last year was a breakout year where 
if things go poorly, he could be less than that. I'm not saying that that's his floor. Right. But it, it's a very clear path to being a fourth outfitter. Legit defensive skills, you can run, all that. Good arm, you know, you have all those things, check, 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 check. And, and has a possibility of being a regular. Yeah. Now, Miles Straw, great year. Miles Straw goes to, your, to the, the Cooper theorem that Matt Eddy expounded upon uh, last week at Baseball America. Not Maybe power. it was two weeks ago. Not enough power. Now, he does have, he does have, you. the exceptions to that often are, can you really run? Right. He has that. He would but, although it doesn't play. So that's the thing is the reports on we have him as a 70 runner with a 60 arm and good defense. Go back the, but only 21 look, steals and, and was caught 12 times. If you have our, your 2016 prospect handbook, the one place that Miles Straw appeared in the Astros right after that was when the draft report card. Okay. Fastest runner. Okay. Fastest runner in that draft class. And now he's, you know, added batting champ to that. Yes. But sub it is a... Sub-100 ISO, well, that includes and, spending part of the time at Lancaster. Not a lot of time, but part of the time. And the... The next ball that Miles Straw pulls may be the first ball he's pulled in his career. His spray chart does look like a left-handed pull hitter spray chart, and but he's a right-handed hitter. But he is interesting. He's not in the thirty though, correct? Uh, if I remember correctly, it's been Don't a while. I'm checking again, but uh, I can confirm Don't that now. Miles uh, Straw is not. So no. twenty-two years old. Uh, I think this is a big year for him. Uh, you got to go to Lancaster and try to drive the ball. You'll be rewarded for driving the ball in Lancaster. I promise. They're not in Lancaster, though. They're in oh, that's Bruce right. Creek. They're in Bruce I'll Creek. see I about that. You won't get rewarded for driving the ball in the humidity in the middle of the summer. Work on your slap and dash game, Miles. <laughs> you can work on driving the ball later. Um, so, Miles Straw, uh, not ranked as high as But Loriano is... Uh, Two very different guys. Uh, yep. Loriano to me, is a guy who's absolutely, legitimately uh, uh, a solid prospect. We have Devin Mackey asking about thoughts on Drew Ferguson. Drew Ferguson is... Highlighted today in the BAPR, uh, Baseball American Prospect Report. We always call it BAPR here. Uh, it's got a lot of, uh, it's a free email newsletter, box scores from the night before uh, in your inbox. A couple news and notes at the top of it. Uh, Vince Lara curates that uh, for us. and It's amazing how, I mean. It's a fun, free product, but uh, I like to call it kudos BAPR. kudos to Vince because that is a 350-day-a-year product. He does like doing it every day. I don't know how much he likes doing it, but he does it every day. Um, it's 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 part of his morning constitutional. Yeah, when I did neither. it. I had to take days off. Me neither. But uh, Drew Ferguson out of Belmont uh, uh, had a pretty solid pro, uh, you know, first full pro season mm-hmm. this year, JJ. Um, but he's again, he's he's kind of like even like a little bit of a lesser. I wouldn't say he's a lesser Ramon Laureano. I don't think he runs like that either. No. He did steal a lot of bags, uh, but he hit for some power. He had a really nice. Uh, professional season. He finished the year in Double A, but it doesn't sound like he's a guy who's gotten any prospect buzz. No, and I, he, he didn't impress any of the scouts. He, didn't yeah. make, he did not make the thirty. Um, <laughs> kudos to the Astros. You know, this is the Astros are known for. They have their that they do really good. They do an outstanding job, tenth round and on, of finding these guys mm-hmm. who right. who perform. Some of them end up kind of flaming out when they hit the sub Double A. Some of them don't. I mean, Tyler White is obviously didn't have a great year last year in the big leagues, but Tyler White making the big leagues is an example of this. Right. Because Tyler White was truly, you know, never a top prospect, you know, amateur-wise and all late, late, late round pick. Right. And all Ferguson those. was a senior, like Tyler White. He was not wasn't even drafted as a junior. Was drafted as a senior out of Belmont. So. Right. The the tough thing with this is is that when you look at it, like even like just for battling for playing time at the minor league level. When you talk about these kind of later round breakouts with the Astros, you've got Ferguson, 
You've got Loriano. You've got Straw. You've got Jason Martin, who had a really good year last year. It's like yeah. you have John Kemmer, who had the really good year two years ago, didn't have the really good year last year. I, I, Ferguson's not making, you know, again, it's, it's gotta, he's got to do it again. Right. But he, there are he some struck, things to like there. He struck me as a John Kemmerish kind of guy. There are know? some things to like. Does it again? He could crack a 30. And again, it's tough because it's also a deep system. But again, this is a guy who his final year in college, it was a monster year. Mm-hmm. 26 doubles. He was in the top 10 in Division One in runs and hits in slugging. So the analytics department does a really nice job with the Astros. And turning guys like him into assets of some kind, whether it's good organizational players right, or maybe other, trade fodder, that is that, there's also, that's, a, that's important. That's the, other, a, the other thing about it is, is that one of the other things that's happened with this Astros rebuild, you also look, this is a farm system now that if you grow up, if you come up through the Astros farm system, when we talk about winning and how it's important to win. Correct. They didn't do it last year for the first time in the Luno tenure, even before the big league team got good. As soon as Jeff and company got there, 2011, worst for four, three out of four years, worst farm system record in the game. And the year they weren't worst, and, they were 29th. And when you say they immediately worst, went to it worst. was like something where you could have said, here, we're going to give you an extra 50 wins. Right. And they'd been like, yep, still worse. Yeah, exactly. No, they, I mean, they were like they historically were, low. Yeah, someone had given them an anvil, uh, and they were Wiley Coyote, and they'd fallen all the way to the bottom. It was, it was, a, bad, it was a bad look, for sure. Um, so... And what we did have on in the uh, 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 in our internal notes has always been that there's, there's nothing standout-ish about Ferguson's tools, but he has hit. And there's no question. And that that's he's the hit. most important tool that you that, could that have. That is the most. That, that's the that's the chief one to have. Um, JJ, we didn't rank CNL Perez uh, because he signed after the handbook went to uh, the transaction deadline for the handbook. Mm-hmm. I will just let uh, Top Cat X know that there is a full CNL Perez report in the appendix of the Baseball America Prospect mm-hmm. Handbook. And Matt Hickman wants to know, J.J., about Kyle Tucker's bright future. We, we graded Kyle Tucker aggressively with a 60 medium. It's, it's a, the rare player who spends most of the year in low A that gets a medium grade. Why did he earn such a lofty, such a, such a low-risk grade for such a young player? Because part of it is, is that Kyle Tucker has now hit everywhere he goes. I mean, this is a guy who was our high school player of the year, and that was in a very, I mean, he hit and he dominated in a very competitive high school environment. Sure. This is not something where you say, I mean, there's one thing where you say, okay. Yeah, playing high, that's, that's good. That's good. That's real good. And so he did that. And then he goes to make his pro debut, and he really hit. And then he goes to low A, and he really hit. And then he made it up to high A in his first year. There's just a, there's a lot of comfort level that this is a guy who's going to hit. And then you look at the rest of it. You know, okay, he – this is also a guy who – he's not going to be a center fielder long term, but there is some there is some athleticism there. I cannot yeah. explain to you – I cannot fully explain to you how he steals bases as well as he does. Right. Because he steals bases at a rate that if you had just looked at his stat line and showed up, you would expect that you were like – Okay, what am I getting down the line? Three nine, four flat. Right, and that's not him. Highly efficient base stealer. Although, the, and the, as Matt Eddy has pointed out, 
the base dealing is much more robust and much oh, more of a part of the game at the lower is, levels. And that is something that, but generally those kind of guys, the really smart base dealers, yeah, that tails off. Joey Votto used to do that, right? In the mind, you know. But like, I just, I just love seeing that as an evidence of he has baseball. He's a baseball player. Well, and that, he what has that some means sound. is you're, this is a guy who's going to run the bases well, and Correct. this is a guy who it does mean is going to be able to steal a bag for you at the big league level. When Even it matters, when, when, when the spot matters, it's like, no, this is the guy we can be comfortable. He's not going to get picked off, and he's going to know when to go. By the way, happy birthday, Kyle Tucker. That was yesterday, oh. January 17th. So just turned 20. But no, I, you look at it and you say, he could reach double A at some point in 2017. Yes, well, we should see said, a lot of him. We should see a lot of him in Bowie's Creek. Yes, I know. Year. I'm. <laughs> I am. You weren't even here last week. You know who the manager in Bowie's Creek is going to be, John? I don't know. Troy Snicker. Oh, are you serious? Yes. Wow, that's a so, blast. That's a name that's a blast from the past. But JJ's uh, very well acquainted with the Snicker. I, I, yes, I was going to say. I think I remember seeing Troy when he was like an eight-year-old when I was covering <laughs> his dad's, you know, team in Macon. So uh, you know, but I'm yes, I. I'm only 30 minutes from Bowie's Creek, and I will be living there a lot this uh, summer. But we like Kyle Tucker. Uh, he's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> we really like him. Uh, controls the strike zone, drives the ball, does a lot of things at an above-average level. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, again, when you're talking about I think he's going to be a plus hitter. It's, it's really, you round it out, and it's it's a lot of sixes. Yeah, it's there, a lot of... There may not be a seven there, but it's... It's a, a Christian Yellow starter kit, and mm-hmm. that's a really good... Prospect to be that, that is a and that's a good way to put it. Now I do think that Christian Yelich was more of a center fielder than yes, Tucker, with a lot less of an arm. Kyle no, Tucker but, was but a good what? high school pitcher. But that's the thing is, is that Tucker, you go no right field. Right. Yelich, it was always it was center or left. Correct. And all, I mean, and we do mean always was center or left. But hey, Christian Yelich is a baller, and uh, so that's a lofty comparison. So if Kyle Tucker can beat Christian Yelich, that is that is a significant ceiling because Christian Yelich for me. Uh, on the very short list of best left fielders in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. I, if, I, if you're calling him a left fielder, he's in the very short list. And if I were taking a left fielder for the next five years, I would take Christian Yelich. That's just me. <laughs> like Ryan Braun, Justin Upton, these kind of guys are your left fielders. I'm taking In the big leagues, we're talking about how bad me, left field is. I'm taking Christian let Yelich. Let me just say, what we need more than anything is, is please, where are the left fielders? Uh, that's, not, that's not bad, though. No, yeah. I think that's not bad. I love Christian Yelich. No, no, I mean, no, he's no, no, he's no, 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 batting I'm not talking about Christian Yelich. I follow I'm talking you, yes. about those, like, what has happened? I'm not trying to damn him with faint praise, but you're, you're, you're pointing out a different aspect, which is, yes, Joe, well, let's think that Ryan Braun and Justin Upton were supposed to be superstars, and they just haven't taken that next step. They're oh, still right, good right. players. But they're not superstars. And maybe Matt Kemp is a left fielder now, let's hope. Um, and he should be better than he is. Those players haven't – those three guys have not aged as well as you would have hoped. But it does baffle me, though, that, like, again, left field should be a position by every logic. It should be – where are the hitters who are well, you're thinking modest like, athleticism? Like, you're thinking top ten hitters of all time, like offensive players – I think four of them are left fielders. Musial, Williams, Ricky Henderson, Barry Bonds. Those are four of the top. If you did just the top ten offensive players, I, I don't know the offensive war uh, you know, off the top of my all, head, yeah. but post-war, post-World War II, integration era, those are the top four. Those, those four guys are in the top ten. I guarantee you mm-hmm. those guys are going to be the top ten for offensive war. And if they're not, they're in the top 15. They're all left fielders. And there's no one sniffing that so maybe we're spoiled, JJ, thinking about left field because of Williams and Musial and Bonds and Ricky Henderson and Tim Raines, who well, let's hope it will get in the Hall of Fame as a left fielder. And so maybe we're spoiled, but who is that guy right now? There's 
Not that guy. So I mean, again, um, like this is again, it's not damning Christian Yelich. Yeah, it, it's just it, a fact it, of how bad. But the reality of it is, is Christian Yelich. If Christian Yelich was the fourth or fifth best left fielder in the game, you'd say, yeah, because left field is a bat first position. Right. He's really good. Right. But the fact that we're talking about him as maybe number one is I think like he's number one. Yeah, I'm saying it's like that to me is like if we were talking about Christian Yelich and we picked him up and we put him at second base, yeah. we would not say. Like, if you, with that offensive production, you'd say, no, he's good, but he's not the best. JJ, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Roger Munter, this is a good way to end it. Uh, how do you make a Quintana trade work for both sides, and how important is it for Houston to make it? We've kind of touched on that part. I think they really need a front of the rotation starter. I think Jose Quintana qualifies, even though he's not a power guy. So he's maybe not like the perfect fit, but he's pitched between 200 and 208 innings each of the last four seasons. He's been uh, incredibly consistent. He feels like, basically as his career, he feels like he's a poor man's Johan Santana. That's how I think of Jose, of Jose Quintana. Pretty... It's not peak, but it's a shorter, th- strong-bodied left-hander with a great changeup, durable, consistent, American League Central. That's kind of why I think of him in that vein. Keeps getting a little bit better, it feels like, every year. Again, not that ace. To me, he's like a number two or number three starter. Um Signed for the next couple of years, a very modest. I was going to say signed for. Oh, well, he's two more years than team options for the next two after that. So but four free years. agent. It says free agent twenty nineteen according but, to. But the team options at. are the team. It's four years. He's he is under control for four years okay. unless something goes really bad. Yeah, so those two. Oh well, then you would control because those two options are ten and eleven and a yeah. half million dollars. So, so as long as he's healthy, four years of control. We saw what the White Sox were able to get for Adam Eaton in his five years of club control. So four years of club control, JJ, with Jose Quintana, that's going to cost and a pretty also, penny. How would you make that? Could you make that work? If you're the, if you're Rick Hahn, no, and you have your Baseball America prospect handbook open in front of you, how would you? Where would you start? You'd I mean, start with Martez. You right? start with Martez and Tucker. I do think you probably do start with okay. It's the top two guys. We want your top pitcher and your top hitter. And that makes sense to me. Okay. Now where this gets interesting is is and there were trades thrown out there before and like. If I'm the Astros, what I'm trying to do here is, can I trade you from my depth? Right. I want to make it up for you in volume. Right. Like, I don't want to say... Here's A.J. Reed. Right. <laughs> I don't want to say, here's Martez, here's Tucker, here's Paulino, here's Perez. Right. Which, by the way, if I'm the White Sox, I... Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I know that's three pitchers, but... I'd, I'd probably do that, even with all the pitchers, pitching they've already acquired. Right. I, if I were the Astros, I would. In, I mean, if I were the White Sox, I would insist on a catcher at some point. I know they drafted Zach Collins. I would want another catcher just in case. So I would ask for Garrett Stubbs. I, and by the way, we, we didn't. He's like the opposite of Zach Collins. Garrett Stubbs is my favorite. You know, like he fits into one of uh, Francis Martez's le- uh, pant legs, but, just because Francis Martez has really big legs and Garrett Stubbs is very small. But um, but no, I wanted to me if I'm the Astros, like. I want AJ Reed to be included in this deal because I can live with the AJ Reed doesn't hurt me significantly yes. in the short term because I've got other options there. And the White Sox right now list Matt Davidson as their starting designated hitter, and they also have a uh, you know uh, Avisel Garcia and Jose Abreu are options there. So I, w- I would imagine that AJ Reed has an opportunity for uh, at bats and to find out if he can be a good uh, Matt Matt Adams who I, walks. I, I want to trade them. Okay, who do you like better, Teoscar Hernandez or Derek Fisher? I'll give you one of them. Yeah, you know because See, again, I would, that's, uh, if I were the Astros, I would offer one of those guys. I would not offer Kyle Tucker. I would say here's the close of the majors guy. Here's Teoscar. 
So I would offer him, I would, I would try to say like, oh, you want Martez, how about Paulino instead? You want Tucker, how about Tiasker instead? I mean, those guys are pretty. Those are guys like, still really to good. To me, like to me, it is fair to say that the deal overall should somewhat equate to the Chris Sale deal, and not that he's as good as Chris Sale because he's right. not. But you do have you have him for longer. Yes. So it's somewhat similar, and again, you're not by not giving up a top three prospect yeah. in the game. You're gonna, you know, again, maybe that maybe that is too much. But to me, like. I, if I'm the Astros, I don't mind giving you volume because I can, you know, if yes. you want to take seven guys in this, Colin Moran, Tony Kemper are... are well, see, I, that, those guys wouldn't interest yeah. me at all if I were to To me, you have to have two upper-level impact guys. And Paulino and Teoscar might be enough as upper-level impact guys. See, to me, if you do that, if I'm the White Sox, I get, like... I, I would want three or four more players <laughs> if, if, if I settle for those guys. And then I would want up the middle guys. So I would want a young catcher. And if it's Stubbs, great. If it's not Stubbs, I, I might even just take Jake Rogers. Because the, the, if they had an upper-level catcher, that would be even better. Because the, the, this is a significant... This is Right. But this is, a, this, this is a significant need for the White Sox in the major leagues right now. And I would love to get someone... Like, if I had more confidence in Max Stassi, I'd love to get someone who could place hold so I can really not have to rush Zach Collins and really get him to learn catching in the minor leagues so that when he gets to the big leagues, he's ready to handle that, that, that role. Um, but then I would want to plumb the, the, the lower levels of the Astros system the way the Astros plumb the depths of opposing systems when they make trades and I, pick up the Francis Martez. Who are those guys, J.J.? Who are the, the Gulf Coast League or Appy League? Or short, they, that's, that's who I want that's, to have. That's the guy. If you said who is the guy who's not even like who's a step. Not even on the 30. But who could be your next Franklin Perez? Depth chart joker. Framber Valdez. Like guys like that. Is like, that a real name? Yes. Framber? Framber Valdez. Okay, Framber. You know, that, like guys like that. Um, you know, uh, Angel Macuare. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they've got, I mean, I can would, keep, the, would the Astros in this scenario, would they include Miguel Angel Sierra? I know they've given a lot up for him, but that's a premium athlete. I, I, again, to get, I would say yes from yeah. the standpoint that, He's a long ways away, and they can do that again. See, I'm, I'm wondering, if I'm the White Sox, I wonder if I would do that for Paulino, Teoscar Hernandez. I'm going to take J.D. Davis because you don't need him, and I like him. I like power, so mm-hmm. I'll take him. And I'll see if he can play third base. Maybe J.D. Davis can be Todd Frazier. You know what? He might be. He has a good arm. He's probably not as great of a uh, probably not as good of a third baseman defensively as Frazier. No, no, I'd say, I, he's he's a lot bigger. He, there was never a point where he said, eh, "Let's put him at shortstop." Right, but I, I think he's. I, I actually don't think that's a huge stretch. Comp, like best case scenario, I think but J.D. Is Davis. Power, is, they're both power based. Uh, power based guys. Um, he has a better arm than Todd Frazier. Yeah, and then I would probably want one of those catchers, and maybe I would if if you maybe if you said Martez instead of Paulino, I might settle for Tyler Heineman. Instead of Garrett Stubbs, I I, but I, I want a catcher, and I would they say have depth if, of you're, if you're settling, you're settling for Jake Rogers. You're not going to go down that low. That low. I like Tyler Heineman. He's scrappy. Uh, I'm, all, I'm all over the the Heineman family. Throw throw me in. Uh, I would uh, take Anthony Hermelin over him. I like Anthony Hermelin. For if you're talking your, I know you did, but I'm I'm not with you. Um, throw in a Ramon Laureano for extra. I, mean, I want that depth. I, I I would I would settle for. All, I guess what I'm saying is as a White Sox. I would settle, quote-unquote, for even Paulino and Teoscar because I think those guys are really good, but especially Teoscar. I think he's undervalued in the industry. I, I think that guy could be a, 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 you know, an everyday center fielder in Chicago. That's not a big, that's not a big outfield. You know? 
it's not like uh, you're not talking about playing the, the National League West where you're going to cores and those kind of things. But again, this is the thing. But I would love some of their depth. This, this is an organization where I might make that trade for depth. This is the thing that stands out to me about this is is that this is an Astros team that made the playoffs two years ago, and again they tailed off this past year, but they did, you know, all that, and here we are still talking about, and it's like. We didn't mention Daz Cameron's 14, you know, I mean, he's... Disastrous he's got, he's, season. But Daz Cameron, you know, and we're talking about Colin Moran's yet something left. We're talking about Freudus Nova is another interesting young shortstop that the Astros have signed. So would the Astros do this if I if I made it four of your top 12 guys and it was Reed, Davis, Paulino, and Teoscar Hernandez no. for Jose Quintana? They wouldn't do that? No. I don't, and I, they shouldn't, I would say. That's, to me, not enough. Like, to me, I've got to get... No, I mean the Astros. You said the Astros. Oh, the would? Astros would do that. Okay. Yes, the Astros would do that. Absolutely. I don't think for the White Sox that's just not steep enough. Like if you're talking about that, it's you for are their top twelve prospects. For the top I'm just, twelve, I'm just saying. But you got one of the top three prospects in the game. For, and three of them are hitters. You got one of the top three prospects in the game for Chris Sale, and you're now going to get no one who's the no one in that is a top thirty-five, top forty prospect. You got to get at least to me. You got to get that's where the Martez comes in. Is then you get Martez, you're getting a top 10, 15 prospect. And so if I did Martez instead of Paulino, Tascar, Davis, and Reed, you think the Astros would do that? I think the Astros would do that. I don't. I think you're. I think the White Sox are saying no. It's got to be a little steeper than that. Hmm. I, to, for me, that's a lot of power potential. It I, is. But it is, it's it's corner guys. It's but not it like is the middle like, guys. It is. And they they need some. They really need some some. Uh, they need some hitters, JJ. To me, they, they need some they need some offensive Again, if players. I'm doing that, you're trying to you're, if you're doing that. To me, it is you're throwing in a Sierra or you're throwing in. I'm taking. I think you're probably right, and the and the White Sox probably would say no to that. But I, if you I, said that's that, a, that's and a pretty you're tempting said, offer. You say you know again, you're going and usually these trades you don't want to go quantity over quality. Right. But if you set on that, you're throwing in. You know, again, maybe you do crazy. You say no, no, we want them and Fisher and Loriano. And you say we'll take six guys again. I can't think of an example of that where that's happened. Yeah, I don't know if the answer because would do that. the the example I can think of that really that that was a disaster of was you have to go way back. But think back to the A Rod trade. Right, right. And those guys were all like they went for like the the when the when the Rangers traded A Rod. Well, they wound up actually not being high volume. It was Soriano and Joaquin Arias and maybe I thought it was five. Four. I thought it was four guys. I don't think so. You know, okay, not so. more recently. Hey, we got four guys for Rollis Chapman. Right. That well, was again, bad. those were but those were not as as good as what you're talking about here. Yeah, that's the thing. I guess it really just depends on how much a team or you uh, believe in AJ Reed. Like to me, either AJ Reed or JD Davis is going to give you a number five hole hitter on a championship caliber team. I, I really do. I like those guys. I like JD Davis. You know, maybe a little bit more than I should. But uh, no, but El, again, El Grove but, rep and present. But again, these are guys you're also talking about. The Astros. When you say, would the Astros do that? Right. The Astros can trade A.J. Reed and J.D. Davis and go, when were, where is J.D. Davis going to ever play? Yes, where is his path to play? Again, That's why I'm asking you, for As you said, like your, your hopes are for him is he's a third base, he's a first baseman who maybe could play third. And I can tell you this, if Alex Bregman is healthy, he's not playing third there. You know? I would probably ask for, if I did these four players, Martez, Teoscar, Davis, and Reed, and then I got a fifth throw in lower level one of those arms like you're talking about like a Jorge Alcala I think I would do that if I that's just me Hector Perez I like wonder if you wanted to up it like Hector Perez is a guy who's a little bit you know closer yeah like, number 16 I'm wondering who the I'm wondering what organization can do better in return for Quintana than that I don't think there is one 
That's the asset the Astros have. Again, this and then is, the thing is, if you're the Astros, would you want to trade that kind of prospect inventory for Jose Quintana? Because again, flip it to if you want to do if some of these guys will rise, some of these guys will fall. But the reality of it is, is those trades are also going to be available come June or July, you would think. And who can you get for that then? Because yeah. I mean, again, that's a haul. That's a haul. That's a big. That's a bit. And that's why I do think these two teams could match up. I'm just not sure that they, they will because I think it's going to be very uh, challenging uh, for the White Sox. The great thing for the White Sox, if you are trying with the White Sox, is... How, how many teams are left that have this kind of prospect inventory? Not that many. I, the funny thing is, is that I do think that their prospect inventory is in some ways more accessible than, yes. the, than the Braves. The Braves may have more inventory, right? but you look at the Braves, the Phillies are one that I think would compare. But, I'll, but the Phillies aren't looking out. They're not looking to trade their upper-level guys. Because the thing that stands out with the Astros, that stands out with the Phillies, is, is you got a lot of guys who have double-A time or better. This is not a surprise. This has really gone on for a yeah. long time I on this podcast. You, John, I, I know. I know. It's been a, it's been a couple weeks I've been here. Uh, well, we might have say the special Garrett was, Stubbs uh, podcast one day. The, the thing I was going to wrap up is, is that if you are the – the thing about the White Sox that they're trading is, is that there aren't a whole lot of positions where you say – I mean, maybe shortstop. You say, okay, Tim Anderson, we're not looking for a shortstop. Other than that, what is the position right. where you say, you know, we're not interested. we got Charlie Tilson. We're not looking for a center. No. Right. We got Melky Cabrera. We're not looking. Uh, no. Okay, we've That's got – I do think these organizations match up because I do think that there's actually – Kind of, you know, to me, there's actually some some real need uh, for position players in, in with the Chicago White Sox. There's so no one if you the say, Astros have depth of position players. Uh, again, to just try to make this longer for some reason, I apologize for that. But if you're the White Sox and you're doing our 2020 lineup, who from the White Sox current lineup do you really want to put in their 2020 lineup? Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson. And you you, can, you would like to do Jose Abreu. You'd, you'd like to do Jose Abreu. You'd like him to bounce back. But from their, I should say, from their current big league projected team. Because, yes, Zach Collins is going to be in that 2020 lineup. Right. They've got these guys at the minor league level. But I'm saying from the current big league team. Carlos Rodon. That's you know, know, in the rotation. Yeah. But, but not I mean, that else. is. Not much else. They, they need a lot of help. That's, there's a reason why they that, didn't contend with and that. And you know what? That is why they that's were That's why wise. they match up well with the Astros. They, and that's also why they were wise. I give them much credit for finally pulling the trigger. They aren't done yet. If Jose Quintana and Todd Frazier are still sitting there at the end of the year, you kind of go like, "Yeah, what happened? What, what are you doing?" <laughs> but I give them credit for pulling the trigger, and it is much better to start trying to fix this than to shuffle through another couple of years yep. of hanging around the eighty win mark. You know, 75 win yeah, mark. 75 win mark. JJ, 30, 30 seconds or less on Garrett Stubbs. Why is he so fast? Why did he? Why does he fascinate you so? He fascinates me so much because if Garrett Stubbs was six foot, uh, two hundred and ten pounds, he'd be. I do believe he would be one of the better prospects in the minors right now because he is. I thought we were going to say that if he were six foot two ten, he'd be a non-prospect because the things that make him a good prospect I, are his lack. I had atypical size. And the thing about it is, I hadn't gotten to that point. Yes, ah. all I was going to say, you knew it, you knew it. But <laughs> okay. if he did what he does now, and he did that at that size, he would check off so many boxes. Of, I say, keep saying that today. I don't miss my tick today. But he would fit what you're looking for in a catcher. He is an, a really good defender. Yeah, and agile, agile beyond belief, uh, extremely agile. He's thrown out 
the next year that he doesn't throw out base runners will be the first time basically in his life. I mean, he's always throwing out base runners. It's not because he's got an 80 arm, but because of the agility and all, it's really quick coming out, it's accurate, all that. All these things. This guy hit last year, and he's hit. He hit, you know, his final year at you know Southern Cal. First team All American at Southern Cal, and that was really like a year where we were searching, like who's our All American catcher going to be? And I was like, I remember being in that meeting. Well, wait a minute, and he's be the guy who was the Pac-12, the guy who led USC to its first regional in a decade, and like all the reports of Pac-12 coaches were like, this guy's makeup is off the charts. He's totally in the engine of that team, and then it was borne out by a 2016 USC team that had all kinds of talent, and did have but a fell apart because they had no catcher. Well, they did. That Jeremy Martinez. Yeah. But had no energy and no leadership to compare to Garrett Stubbs. They missed him so much. It was like Holly Hunter and the baby in Raising Arizona. <laughs> I almost went Holly Hunter on you. But, and you're talking about a guy who does all that. The thing that is the concern is, is that I, he is the smallest catcher. And by smallest, I'm not talking just about height. Yeah. He is the slightest catcher yes. that I can ever think of, like as far as a professional. I've seen guys who look, who have similar builds to him catching. It's the second catcher on when the NHSI is in town, you know, right. and it's like, here's the sophomore that they're grooming to take yeah. over. He's that small. That's right. And I, I do think it is fair to say that he'll never be able to catch 120 games. But as we wrote, if you go to BaseballAmerica.com, just search Garrett Stubbs Baseball America, you probably will come up. Did a study on this this past, you know, offseason, this, this recent offseason says... You can catch now 90 games in the big leagues and be – that's a 90 to 100 games doesn't make you some outlier of, like, you can't catch. The game has come to him. Yes. 20 years ago, he would not even have been a top 10 prospect because he just was flat out too small for the workload that teams expected of their catchers. But the game has come to him. Nowadays, no one catches 140 games. That's right. And with that being the case, you say, like, again, you talked about Max Dassey. And I don't think Garrett Stubbs is ready to go on opening day. But the reality is, is if you talk about a team that has Evan Gaddis and Brian McCann, yes. Garrett Stubbs could be the guy who comes in in the later innings a lot and also catches one to two days a week, you know, because of the matchups as far as pitching and all that. And he could do that and be, and again, you're going to be paying him major league minimum to do it. That could, that could be very valuable. For Absolutely. The so MLB catchers' workloads keep decreasing. That's the headline you want to find. It was a November 18th, 2016 story by this man. He's J.J. Cooper, and he has carried the load on this podcast. I'm John Manuel. I hope you enjoyed my contribution as well. We will be back with more National League Top Ten Prospects uh, podcasts coming up. We're not going to start up. with the Braves because the Braves fans keep asking. I don't think we want to start this with the Braves tomorrow. Uh, Why we don't? Huh? Because I want to see about, you know. They you want, want two do, hours for the they Braves. Want, they want to do a Braves, you know, like Braves fans are like, why don't you do a telethon? And it's like 24 hours. I'm like, we're not doing that. But, I, you know. Well, then who are we going to start with? Um, let's start Let's start at bad and can go up. <laughs> okay. So that means uh, we either start with the Marlins yes. or we start with the Nationals, who are also. No, they're the Marlins. I know they, so have, I, I know they have Victor Robles. That puts them at a whole different level than the Marlins. Uh, they also have two DSL players, I thought, in their top 10, which is really unusual. So That uh, system is a little thinner after you trade away Giolito and Lopez and Dane and Dunning. Dane Dunning. Yes. And yes okay. Things look a little different in, uh, in Washington. So, but we'll be back with a National League Top 10 Prospect uh, uh, podcast tomorrow. For JJ, I'm John. We'll see you on the next podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. 
Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.